Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education and beyond. I like the beyond part today. Um, uh, my name is Dr. Joe Salustio. With me again, a special guest host, the amazing, the incredible, the host, the new host of EdUp EdTech, Holly Owens. Holly, how are you today? I'm great, Joe, and I'm so excited to be here with you again and have this conversation about some things beyond higher education. Now, did you um, have you talked to Liz yet and told her that you're trying to schedule episodes for her without telling her so that you could jump on? No, I don't know if she no, knows that. no, I don't want to fill those shoes. That is, Liz is totally your co-host. You guys have the chemistry. Um, you know, you are the curators of this ed up experience. So I'm definitely happy to fill in whenever Liz needs me to, but I am not taking her place. But so you don't want me to tell her about the text you sent me that said that you're going to be trying to join. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. no. I won't, I won't bring that up to her. Elizabeth, if you're listening, just tune out during this part. Here. He's kidding, Liz. All right. Well, listen, we, we have a great guest for you guys today. Um, uh, she is, um, I'm going to ask her if she speaks Italian, which I'm sure she does at this point, but she doesn't know that yet. Uh, on the line right now, Dr. Alyssa Nada. She's CEO and president of the University Studies Abroad Consortium, USAC. Alyssa, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, do you do speak Italian, right? I do. I do. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you at the second half of the episode to speak all it. No, I won't do that. Uh, but I, I always tell my my wife speaks fluent Italian and I tell her, I say, you speak some Italian to me. And she just looks at me and she just says, no, I'm not doing that. Because anyway, uh, um, we are really excited to talk to you because it's a, such a, a really interesting thing about studying abroad right now, given mm-hmm. and the pandemic. Right. That's, I think, the first and most obvious question I can ask you is our students across the world or wherever you're servicing them wanting to study abroad given the pandemic? And has that hurt the business model or are you seeing gains? Uh, talk to me mm-hmm. about where things stand. Sure. Yeah, that's a definitely good, a good question. Um, yes, luckily, we've, we're still seeing um, a great amount of demand and applications coming in. Um, We have about 54 programs now all over the world in in almost 30 countries, and I've been really pleased to see that that the demand is still there. The interest is still really high, Um, and we actually do have some students abroad. Um, We we had our first group back again in uh, in the fall, fall of 2020, a very small group in five different countries. And then right now in the spring semester, we have an even larger group out there in even more countries. So, I mean, it's, it's small, it's a very small percentage, um, but it, I'm, I'm glad to see that there's still interest and that study abroad is really possible right now. Even despite COVID, um, students are doing very, very well, and I'm really, really proud of them for taking on that, that opportunity. 
Is there, what's the risk tolerance? Like, you know, one of the things we've talked about here on the Oedip experience before is that everybody's individual risk tolerance, given the pandemic, their level of, um, I know that the, the, how much contact they're willing to accept, you know, wh where they're willing to go, how they're willing to interact. Are you seeing that variable happen with students who are willing, wanting to study abroad? Element 451. It's the CRM your school needs to be more effective. Do you want to give students a seamless experience with your school from inquiry all the way to depositing? You need to get the time back to focus on students and that can be done with Elements automation tools, giving your team more time to work with more students. Move away from spreadsheets, have real-time insights into where enrollment efforts stand, and empower your staff with an easy-to-use yet powerful platform. Visit element451.com. Yes, no, it's it's really interesting how it varies. You know, when this all started back in the spring of 2020, you know, it was so shocking to the entire world. Of course, that had a deep impact and um, on our organization and on education in general and on the whole travel industry. Um, and so everything was kind of put on pause at that time while everybody, including students, waited and, and wanted to see how this would evolve. You know, what, what would it look like as the months went by? Um, and, and that, that continued through the summer, I have to say. So we didn't have any students abroad in the summer. Um, but then we started seeing it ramp up again for the fall of 2020. And that's how we were able to have some students go. Um, I mean, certainly they're, they're correct to have concerns, they and their families and their universities, uh, because we work with hundreds of universities across the U.S., and the, you know, we're partners with them. And so we follow the decisions that the universities make. You know, if, if the university uh, is willing to support the student to go abroad, then that means they you know, have a, a much higher possibility of getting their credits to transfer back home, right, to their, to their degree. And so that's a really important piece of this puzzle. Um, and so, uh, again, I was really happy to see there is interest um, starting from last last semester. Um, but again, it, it's all about responsibility. I think we as an organization saw the great responsibility that we have. If we are going to send students abroad, we need to make sure that they are really well prepared and informed. And so we've really ramped up all of our pre-departure advising, documentation, trainings, everything that we can possibly do to be as clear and transparent with students as possible. Um, so that they can make the best decision for themselves, you know, and so I'm, I'm really proud of the ones that, that did go abroad in the fall and who were able to immerse and be really comfortable despite the very strange, you know, unique moment in history that they're living. Mm. You know, I, I, so much of this is so interesting. Holly, you can pop in here. I, yeah, I, uh, I'm ready to pop in. I'm definitely like just absorbing all this information. And I'm, I'm really glad to hear that students are still growing, going abroad, even with COVID-19. And now, you know, with the vaccine and everything out, that's also good news for study abroad programs. And I, you know, I see you have a ton of affiliated universities from Clemson to University of Maryland. Um, that uh -huh. you are just you are working with to help 
you know, get students abroad. So I want to hear more about like how you work with those schools and, and then what that process looks like, you know, tell our audience how that looks when you partner with an institution, because I remember, you know, going to the study abroad office back way back when I was in college and thinking about going to Australia, um, Mm -hmm. to study something and it was just very like they just gave you a little packet of information and then you had to decide but this looks so much more uh, granular and so much more like a partnership and so much information that you guys are sharing with the students so can you Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about that sure sure yeah we are we're absolutely university based I mean we're a consortium so we work with we work with 35 main universities around the U.S., but also hundreds of additional ones. So there's no there's no limit to to students. Students from any university in in the U.S. or even college or community college, they can attend USAC programs. Um, and we we it, it's all based on relationships. Um, it's it's really important that we um, have a good relationship with these universities, and and. Because we work together with so many universities, we're able to offer them many more opportunities than maybe they could do on their own, financially and academically, for example. So <laughs> um, many universities have, have their own programs or have um, you know, their own independent short-term programs. Um, other opportunities include uh, enrolling directly into a host university abroad if a student wants to do that. And then there's this other version of study abroad, which is what we do as a provider of study abroad programs. We we create the full package. We have you know full full time staff on the ground in most locations. We help them develop the curriculum and the courses, the field trips, internships, you know, volunteering in the community. We help them with housing. You know, every every piece of that puzzle of study abroad comes together in that way. And so in that way, that, that helps uh, the universities to do it on a much larger scale, is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Um, so I, can, I can definitely yeah. see that, that helping them, uh, you know, with, with getting all that, you know, I was a transfer student. So I understand, like, if you're taking a class elsewhere, especially in another country, you have to figure out how that's going to translate as you matriculate through a program here in the United States. So that's awesome stuff that you guys are doing. And really, I'm sure that's helping the institutions grow. Right, it is. No, no, you go, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, especially now with COVID, I mean, as, as we've seen, so many universities, you know, and institutions across the U.S. have been hurt financially, you know, so a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of study abroad offices have been impacted, you know, they've lost staff members, their budgets have been really deeply impacted. And so that's where we're able to step in and really lend a hand, because again, we've got our, you know, our staff on the ground, we've got our programs that are intact and running. And so we've been really trying to help universities much, much more in that in that way. And that, that's been a silver lining to this whole thing. Really, after many months of this, um, we've been able to work much more closely with so many current and even new universities across the U.S., new partners that we've been able to develop um, because we've been able to help them solve the problems that they have or to, to achieve their you know, international education goals at the same time. Alyssa, there's a really... Uh there's a, a big cultural piece of, uh, of uh, studying abroad. I'm going through your site 
and I look, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, material here about equity and inclusion, studying abroad, questions that the student needs to ask themselves, like, you know, how will my identity be perceived? Will I be a minority in this country? How, you know, how, what are the stereotypes that, that are there? How important or how, I want to say important might be the wrong word, but how, how, uh, 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 What's the focus? How, you know, what's the, is that a big focus for those students as they look to study abroad that the, that the cultural sensitivities be the right, you know, temperature for them, you know, cause that you've got, just got a lot of resources going over the equity to the diversity, the perception. Um, talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that's absolutely a, a topic that is so much in the news and is, is growing so much more over, over the last few years and is really an important piece of study abroad. You know, that, that's, that's the main reason we want students to have international experience is to uh, be exposed to something different and to open your eyes and your mind and realize that your way of doing things uh, is really just one way. And that there are so many other ways out there in the world and to not be afraid of those things, you know, that differences exist. They're not necessarily bad um, or negative, you know, or any less important or more important than your way of doing things. And so that's, that's a major reason why we want students to have that, that experience. Um, but I, I understand your point and it's true that more and more students are asking those kinds of questions and um, it, it has become a large part of our advising, our pre, pre-departure advising conversations that we have with students and their families, because families and parents are now a huge part of the decision-making process as well. Um, many students are first generation. Um, many students who go abroad maybe speak Spanish at home. They're heritage seekers or are heritage speakers, and then they want to go study in Spain or in Costa Rica, for example, and, and learn, learn a culture and a language even more deeply in that sense. Um, and so this, this is an important topic and, and we're involved with a great organization called Diversity Abroad, um, run by Andrew Gordon and his, his team. And, and they provide so many excellent resources and, um, and materials to help advisors, to help study abroad organizations like ours and universities to, to talk through those conversations with students and, and their families. <laughs> are students abroad, uh, well, let me ask it like this. Are United States colleges and universities still held as a gold standard? Is that where students from other countries still want to study? Or do you see a shifting landscape to universities in the UK or Australia or China or Japan being the go-to for students looking to study abroad? Wow, that's a, that's a million-dollar question. Uh, that's a good one. Um, I, do, I do think the U.S. is still held to a high, a high level and in respect to U.S. institutions, universities. However, yes, I would say in the past few years, we have lost that a bit. We've certainly... Um, and what, why? Why have we lost that, Alyssa? Yeah. Because I will tell you, the majority of our audience, about 84% of our audience, is the is United States University, college and university, higher ed professionals. And so this question, more than any other, is so important to their futures of 
are students abroad still looking at your college and university as as the best place for them to learn? You're telling me the answer is kind of not really anymore. And why is that? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, without getting too political, I think the last four years have really hurt the image and the reputation of the U.S. around the world, not necessarily U.S. education system, but the U.S. as a country and as a culture. Um, you know, so many different restrictions were put on international students coming into the U.S., and so, correctly so, they started to look elsewhere. And I have been reading and seeing that, yeah, they respect and they're looking to the U.K. and looking to Australia, even New Zealand, because they're seeing the way that those cultures and countries are managing COVID, um, managing immigration, managing their relationships with international universities and partners and students, and so, unfortunately, yes, I, I, at the same time, I think now with a change in the U.S. administration, there, there's hope on the horizon. I think we've started to see that already shift even in this first month of, of, their, of their term. Um, but I, I think also a part of this is that on U.S. campuses, I, I have to say that international education is not always celebrated or even publicized or promoted well enough. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. I, again, I think that's tied to the budget cuts, the, the demands, the obstacles that all U.S. institutions are facing right now. But that's that's a you know a message that I would love to send to all U.S. institution presidents and provosts. You know, keep absolutely need to keep international education on their agenda and on the table. It's it's too easy to brush that aside and focus domestically. Um, because there's just so many benefits to not only studying abroad, but to bringing international students and faculty into your campus, and not just financially, but culturally and, and academically. Um, and so there's, 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 there are major, major benefits to it and to internationalizing campuses, both, both in the U.S. and abroad. And so that, that can't fall off the agenda. I mean, that's, that's extremely, extremely important. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, in the last four years have been a challenge in higher education, you know, for, the, like you said, for the international students. But I also see that you do have, you know, abroad programs the other way. So, you know, there's a gateway for students uh, in China to come to some universities in the United States. Um, so if you want to talk about that initiative and, and do you plan on adding, or are you trying to add some partnerships there with bringing more um, students from other countries into the United States along those same lines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we USEC was founded and really designed as, as a study abroad organization. So the majority of our work is still you know, sending sending U.S. students out into the world to learn and be exposed, and then to come back, or or to use those those skills in, in even another country. Um, and only recently we've started to to reverse that and to bring some international students into our U.S. partner campuses. Um, I have to say it's been going slowly. Um, the majority that come in um, want to study English and short term. And so we've been able to develop that over the last few years at a variety of U.S. campuses, you know, in California and Nevada and Idaho. And we're looking to expand that as well. Um, but again, because of the, these last few years, the restrictions on international students, um, 
and the financial demands of the U.S. campuses, that, that has really hurt international students and the number that can get into the U.S. And so our numbers have gone down for various reasons. Um, but we are working on that often and trying to rebuild that as this, you know, kind of secondary branch of USAC. But I think that's going to take quite a while to to develop, to get it all back on track, to, you know, the U.S. has to rebuild its reputation. Um, and, and I think it will happen. I think it will definitely happen, but it will take some time. Yeah, I, I do think... You know, we work with hundreds of universities even outside of the U.S., and, and there are many, many students who do want to come here, who do want to study in the U.S., but for the most part, it's, it's a financial burden. Um, and unfortunately, because a lot of U.S. universities are not able to, to, you know, offer scholarships or lower the tuition rate, and so it's this very difficult balance that we have to find, you know, so that so that more students can come in. I think I think US universities do appreciate international students and realize the value, but then there's so many hoops and obstacles in between. They tend it, they tend to become, you know, secondary and not not as many students or not as many opportunities as there could be. And it's and it's unfortunate because it hurts it hurts the US campuses, it hurts the US students who could be having this opportunity, the faculty members too, you know, so overall it's something that I think U.S. universities do need to continue to push and work on in, in a big way. Is the perception out there that U.S. universities are expensive? You know, when you're, when you're working with students and families, uh-huh. is, you know, uh-huh. what's the thought about U.S. universities in general, that they're just way expensive, that they're affordable, that they're yeah. accessible, that they're inaccessible and very expensive? You know, how does the, how does the generality of, of uh, the perception of U.S. universities amongst students looking potentially come to this country, how do they really understand U.S. colleges and universities? Well, from the ones that we work with, the, the the partner universities and students that we work with, they they tend to think, yeah, U.S. universities are very expensive, very very expensive, and so that's why they're they're looking, you know, at all different kinds and levels of universities, um, and and also another reason why they're looking outside the U.S. Um, and so that's another reason why we all need to try to come up with creative partnership ideas and collaborations, you know, exchanges rather than charging full tuition you know u.s tuition is is off the charts and and really out of reach of many many international students um and so definitely u.s u.s universities need to take that into into consideration if if they're truly sincere about wanting international to to internationalize their campus then they need to make these changes and these adjustments um, and, and I can tell you from our, our Chinese partners, um, you know, the, the level and the name of the university is very important. You know, they want, they want certain, you know, Ivy League level universities or that name to then bring back home to say that they've attended that kind of, that kind of university. But with that comes, you know, a certain price tag. So it is, it is somewhat of a, of a, of a problem for sure. Mm, that's interesting, Holly. I, I mean, you know how many colleges and universities are, you know, even aside from the partners right. that Alyssa works with are looking at, you know, bringing in students from other countries. But if the perception is we're too expensive and it's really hard to come to the U.S., it's just going to be another area where higher ed is going to feel that decline. Right. And, and you, enrollment. If, you, 
right? And if you think about it, a lot of other countries, they offer higher education at low or no cost because of the national, how much taxes support in other countries' education. So we really are competing on a national scale here and have to be very creative in our approach to what we offer our students. And, you know, it's that, what am I, you know, more bang for your buck? What am I getting when I'm paying you for this? You know, you mentioned the Ivy Leagues, like, you know, we know who they are. Um, paying for that that name um, but also that the students come in and and they really what about the education experience you really have to dive a little deeper into the institution it's not just the name about what types of opportunities they're going to offer um, you know what kind of recognition they've gotten from you know things like us news and world report and and recognition from other areas within the institution are you ready to reimagine your admissions and enrollment marketing Wherever you are in the admissions CRM selection process, Element 451 is here to help you. Now, why check them out? Well, Element 451 empowers admissions and enrollment teams to work more efficiently as they develop stronger, more personalized engagements with prospective students. Their cloud-based admissions, marketing, and enrollment CRM platform is powerful, yet easy to use. Complicated systems are exactly that, complicated. At its core are two of the most important ingredients for working smarter, automation and analytics. At Element 451, you get enrollment experts, marketers, engineers, data magicians, and thought leaders with decades of experience working in higher ed and ed tech to help you streamline your systems for more effective and greater yield. Visit them at element451.com. That's element451.com. So, you know, then in, in speaking along those lines, I, you know, we're talking was about- that, Was that, was that, was I supposed to pick up that Yeah, moment, I, I feel like oh. that was a transition to you, Joe, because I, I just know, like, after I say something, it's, it's like you hop right in. <laughs> well, you know, we're, it's like two football players trying to figure out how they quarterback and receive at the same time as we- I'll be Gronk and you can be Tom Brady, okay? Yeah, except, to, except in this case, you're Tom Brady, it threw it right to my chest and I was Gronk and I dropped it in the end zone here. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Holly, so- uh, but, but, you know, it's, this is just a really interesting conversation because there's just so many components of, in, of international, of, of study abroad that really aren't as discussed, Alyssa, as much as they should be. I mean, you know, there's colleges and universities that really rely on this. Um, it's not a much discussed topic. Um, talk to me a little right. bit about, right. though, I want to ask you this from your international perspective. Colleges and universities across the United States are going through um, a, a tough time, obviously, due to coronavirus, we're seeing enrollment declines. The the, the college age student, the eighteen year old, as we would expect, the you know quote unquote traditional student, that population will decline over time. Um, mm-hmm. Are are international universities fe- uh, seeing that same kind of fear, especially now with the pandemic? Do you see the same kind of fear or financial model concerns? Or are, you know, I think about China and what do they have, like 1 billion people there or something. I can't imagine that there's universities over there that are struggling for students. Is the U.S. unique in that we we are seeing some systemic failure in our our university systems? Yeah, I would say so. I think think the U.S. um, has priced itself, you know, in, in a very difficult position. Uh, you know, in regards to international students, um, I, I think the interest is out there from what I can see from 
from the universities that we work with around the world, the, the interest is there. Um, there's still a little bit of hesitation. Everybody's just kind of sitting back and, and waiting to see what happens with COVID. But, but the world is opening up more, more and more each month, luckily. And so I do think those numbers will, will grow. Um, you, you correctly, you mentioned, you know, like in Europe, for example, the Erasmus program. I mean, that's, that's essentially free. It's a free, incredible opportunity that those students have or very, very low cost um, to, to move between European countries for some of their, their higher education. And I know many, many take advantage of that. Um, you know, when I was working in Italy, we used to have many Erasmus students come and be part of the USAC program and, and take those courses. And that added a whole layer of, um, you know, incredible additional international exposure that the American students were getting. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not really answering your question. <laughs> no, I, I you are yeah, you're yeah. answering it. I think I definitely think you're answering it, and it's it's hard to like um, get U.S. institutions to kind of wake up a little bit and see what what's happening internationally and kind of stay on the on the stage competitively on the world stage. Um, so what you're saying here is is kind of opening our eyes to what we need to do. Um, you know, especially we have our own internal issues domestically, but also we want to think about how we can serve the world. Like education, I always say, we're trying to move education forward. When I say that, I'm not just meaning education in the United States. I'm meaning education on a, on a more global scale mm -hmm. because now these future generations are coming in and they learn a little bit differently or they need um, more help right. or assistance in, in, in getting up to speed with certain things like literacy skills. Um, so it really, we have, to, we have to think about all these things. So everything that you're saying is really resonating with me. Alyssa, I want to ask oh, you one okay. more thing real, real quick to interrupt because I'm just horrible at interrupting. I, I have to work on that. But before I forget to ask you, there are some uh, countries, I think like India, India is an example where they have a three-year degree. They have a three-year college mm -hmm. degree. The United States typically, right? Mm -hmm. Four-year degree. Right. Does that factor into to how international students are choosing their education in terms of length? Because we, we have had conversations yeah. here on the Edip Experience like, why is it four years? Why is why are there so many general education courses? Why can't somebody do a three year bachelor's degree and then spend a year working? Talk to me about that. And does that come up? Yeah, it definitely comes up. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've seen that with a lot of the U.S. universities um, really requiring international students to stay for a longer period of time or even a full degree and definitely a four year degree. And yeah, that, that becomes very restrictive, becomes a very large obstacle. And, and some of the universities we've worked with at, at that point, it's just the, the partnership has kind of fallen through as a result of that. Again, because many of the international students we work with just cannot afford and don't, don't want to have to be required to stay for four full years or longer, um, paying the tuition rate and all the personal expenses and fees that there are at, at your typical U.S. institution. Um, I, I agree. I, as, as, I saw a lot in Europe, you're right, that the degrees are three years and then masters can be one year versus two or three years. And so there are different levels and different layers and, and forms of these degrees. And I do think that that puts other countries ahead of us. It really, I, I really do think that, that that is a factor. That is a factor for sure. I mean, you think about it, I don't know if you've seen it, Holly, but I, through my career, there have been students that have come in from other countries to institutions I've worked with and they've got a three-year bachelor's degree and they want to 
a, you know, go right to a master's and say, it's like, well, right. we don't recognize that three-year degree mm-hmm. fully. You've got to take some additional classes. You've got, and it's like, are you kidding me? Like we, you know, our, our entire accreditation system and the way that we design programs has to be looked at for the future, especially when other countries are doing it in three years. Why would you, you know, especially like online, right? Here we go. Everybody's operating online. If I'm coming out of my undergrad right now, if I'm finishing an undergraduate or I'm coming out of of high school and I can take a fully online bachelor's degree in the UK in three years and have a UK bachelor's degree, you know, why, why wouldn't I? I mean, there's just so many things there to Uh consider. Yeah, it's been very interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's been so interesting to see our, our entire field of education, but also international education change and be forced to change. You know, because I think we've always been a very traditional kind of field where study abroad meant you go for a semester. You know, years ago it was, you know, junior year, um, but it has changed so, so much over the last, let's say, I don't know, 20 years. <clears throat> Even the topics, you know, that, that students can study, I, I really find that fascinating. Because years ago, you know, when I studied abroad, you know, it was, um, you know, very humanities based and students would go for a semester or a year. You'd go for language and culture and that kind of that kind of study area. Nowadays, it's open to any kind of student. You know, the, the largest group of students are STEM students now that go abroad from the U.S. Science, math, engineering, which to me is really a huge change. You know, we have loads of business students or social sciences. You know, you still have students studying languages and cultures, of course. But the whole face of study abroad and education abroad has really changed. Um, it's really, really interesting to see this evolution and then add COVID on top of that now. And that has forced us all to look at the way we work and what we offer in an entirely new way. And so you're right. Everything now is online or, you know, much shorter sessions are now available. Three weeks, four, five, six weeks, six weeks programs, um, summer programs, January programs. Um, so, I mean, I think it's a positive change is what I'm trying to say that, now we're able to reach so many more students um, and, and meet their needs because the, the needs are different. And, and I think it's a great, a great positive change that we've, we've been forced into. And, and on that note, I think too, online education will still, um, <clears throat> online education will remain a part of study abroad to some degree even. And this is a really interesting combination that I don't think people would have agreed to or admitted, you know, even two years ago. Um, You know, as you've seen, a lot of the study abroad options are now virtual options, courses and internships. And so it's really fascinating to me. I'm getting off track, but I I think it's fascinating to see all the incredible changes that are going on around us in the field. No, there's a lot to say there for online education. And I love it how you, you noted that they were forced and they didn't willingly come to the online stage. Um, And this is something, you know, my, my trade is instructional design. So uh, getting the buy-in from faculty, from students, from people in the U.S. about how online education is important and it's another modality that is completely functional and people can earn degrees that way. I've got my master's degrees online. I've gotten, I'm getting my mm-hmm. doctorate online. So it's completely a viable option and just, you know, giving that experience to the students who need it. You know, in class, you know, people always try to 
make sure that in class and online have the have the same components, but it's not the same. You don't want to, they're not competing uh, with each other. They're totally different modalities, just like the diversity of the students you have in your classroom. And talking about the three years and the four-year degree, it's really quality over quantity is what I think about. You know, what are those institutions internationally doing that we're not doing where we have students here that are required to take general foundation requirements, um, you know, kind of like high school setup things where you have to take like a physical education, you have to take like a, a for, you know, a foreign language if, you know, if that's part of mm -hmm. your major, you know, some of those things are, should remain relevant, but other things, what could be taken out so that the track to matriculation is a little bit faster and we can get them in the workforce and then provide that quality um, in connecting them with real world experience as well. So there's just a whole lot here that we could dissect and I'm, I'll digress now because I'm, I can talk about this for soapbox, hours. Soapbox, soapbox. I love it. <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm not the only one soapboxing around no, here. No, I'm getting off the soapbox now. <laughs> you, you can you can soapbox all you want you got your own podcast now by the way i know it's I, and, awesome. and i'd be remiss if i did not mention it one more time when this episode comes out uh, Alyssa, as we get uh you know probably three weeks or so from now you holly will have had several episodes as she hosts a new ed up podcast called ed up ed tech focusing specifically on innovation and education and you could hear her soapboxing all day on that podcast so subscribe <laughs> Now, Alyssa, we want to be sensitive to your time Great. and give you our, our final two questions that we have for every guest. The first is, what did we miss? What do you want to talk about, about your organization? Any initiatives you have going on? Anything that we should have asked that we didn't ask? Any highlights that you want to provide? And number two, what does the future of higher education look like to you? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, I, I would like to point out that there are lots of myths out there. There's a lot of noise and a lot of myths that unfortunately cause students and families to think that study abroad is not possible or not valuable. And, and I mean, my entire career and my entire organization tries to fight against that, fight against those myths and to break those down. I think that's so incredibly important. And, and more than ever now, because COVID has shown us the world has gotten smaller you know, a lot smaller. We are all more alike than we want to admit um, or that we realize. And there's so much value in learning from other people and cultures and ways of life. And so to get out of that bubble, um, the, the myths, unfortunately, you know, are that it's, it's only for wealthy students. It's only for certain majors. It's going to delay your graduation. It's not really valuable. And that, that's a shame. It really, that really, you know, is, is, sad that people believe that because it's absolutely not true um, and, and I think that has impacted students over the years and so those students have, have lost that opportunity um, just to see the world and to, to gain the incredible benefits of an international experience. Um, I know a lot, of, a lot of people will say study abroad is not open to every student, it's not accessible. And I really don't believe that, you know, maybe years ago that was the case. I, I don't know. But right now it's absolutely not the case. I think, again, we've all been forced to become incredibly creative and innovative and really um, work with students to meet their needs. And so that's why the field is changing so quickly and it needs to continue to change. So to offer, you know, these, these different types of programs, um, 
lengths of time, like I mentioned, different academic areas to study in, but also internships and volunteering and community service. And students today want to do those kinds of things. They want hands-on practical skills. They want to get out there in the community and they want to give back to the community, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad. And so that's another whole part of study abroad now that, that, that is being developed and again, it's really in response to what this generation of students really wants. Um, so I think we have to get out of our own way sometimes and look and talk to our students, see what they need, see what they want, see what's going to help them to develop these skills to help them in their futures, um, both academic and professionally and personally. Um, so we have to we have to keep that in mind. Um, and then what is inter the, the future, future of, of higher education? education. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful question. Uh, <laughs> again, I think the U.S. has a lot to repair. I think it's well on its way. I think it will take some time, but I think it will get back on track. I think we do still have, you know, um, in, in the U.S., we do still believe in education and the importance of getting degrees and graduate degrees. I'm a huge proponent of that, and I, I think that's important to keep that message strong. Um, I do think there's incredible value in, in degrees and graduate degrees, and, of course, having some kind of international exposure as part of every single degree. Um, we've seen through these months, yes, online Education has really proliferated, uh, especially in our field, and I think that will remain and that will continue to grow and strengthen overall. Um, I think we're going to find ways to have online education and in-person education complement each other, and that's both in the U.S. and abroad. There's no reason that right they can't on. work well yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's no reason that they can't work well together. And and I'll be the first to say I wouldn't I wouldn't have said this maybe five years ago because I knew nothing about it. You know, I knew nothing about online education and it wasn't something that we were focused on as a as an organization. You know, our mission is to send students out into the world physically, like really to have that physical hands-on experience, you know, to be thrown into a culture and a street where you don't know the language and you've got to learn it and you've got to build those skills on the, on the spot, you know? Um, but I do, I have learned, especially from the students who have gone abroad these, these semesters that it is possible. So study abroad is possible physically in person, even during COVID times, but there is room and, and benefit also for allowing this flexibility and allowing them to, um, take online courses at the same time if it's going to help them to finish their degree, learn something they need to learn or want to learn, and, and why, why not? Why can't it work together to some, to some degree? And I think we still have a lot to learn about that as a field of study abroad, but I think it's, 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 we're on the track. We're on the, we're on the road to that and to learning more about that and implementing it a lot more and in, and in meaningful ways. Hey, everybody, we hope you enjoyed that episode of the Edup Experience. To learn more about the Edup Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback 
And of course, subscribe to the Edup Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the Edup Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.